You're listening to Out of the Box, a place for marketers to get inspired, get going, and break out of the box. Welcome back, everyone. I'm Jess Overton, and you're listening to Out of the Box, the marketing podcast exploring growth strategies and out-of-the-box approaches to marketing. Today, I'm joined by Maor Sadra, a veteran in the mobile advertising industry and founder of incrementality measurement company, Incremental. Maor, thank you for joining us. Thanks, Jess. And by the way, your last name, I just understood that it fits very well someone who records podcasts, by the way. <laughs> well, I'm glad. I'll, uh, I'll tell my parents that you, that you approved. <laughs> um, Maor, I think you've got a, a really interesting history. You've, you've got more than 20 years in the growth marketing industry. You've served in various roles in some really interesting companies. Well, before we start to talk really about incrementality, can you give us a little bit of a snapshot of, of your career? Um, why you decided to establish Incremental, uh, just a, a, a thumbnail overview of, of, of your history. Yeah, sure. So indeed, 20 years uh, actually fly by because, you know, time flies in this industry. Uh, it's uh, probably never thought um, I would last so long, but I actually do really like it. Uh, you know, if you catch me offline um, in whatever event, I'm always happy to talk about the industry. Uh, so yeah, I basically got into the industry when I was like 21, straight out of Israeli army, because I'm Israeli as well. And um, yeah, I spent about 10 years in desktop advertising, doing a little bit of everything. So always international media, always fairly technological companies, but I've done, I grew from the bottom, I would say. And then uh, 10 years later, um, a, an ex-colleague of mine called Paul Bowen, which is now fairly well known as well. Um, told me, hey, switch to mobile now. And I was like, nah, next year's the year of mobile. And uh, I'm so glad I actually listened to him. I joined Interactive, who later got sold to Fiverr and I got sold to Digital Turbine. And yeah, this is where I kind of like got my foot uh, into the mobile space. Uh, from this, I basically moved to Berlin. I joined Applift, it's a mobile performance marketing company. And I would say this is where I really started kind of understanding, um, you know, WTF about attribution. So like in my past, during my desktop years, I did spend some time on ad serving and attribution and tracking. And uh, yeah, I would say I started developing quite a lot of opinions and thoughts and discussing this quite regularly with the attribution companies. I was lucky enough that I was fairly buddies with, you know, Owen and Charles and Christian. So I could really speak with these people directly. Um, and Again, it's not as if I challenge attribution. Attribution, when it comes to you know, last touch, real time is fantastic, especially to anyone who's spending a lot of money and they really, really do need something real time, but it doesn't really tell you the entire picture. Now, at some point after I sold Uplift, I decided, okay, now it's time for me to actually build something of my own. And um, original idea was, you know, let's build better attribution. So I started talking with my co-founder, Moti Tal, who was uh, working with me also at Interactive. And we understood fairly quickly, multi-touch will not really give us what we're looking for, because essentially what we looked for is how can we really measure value? Okay, if attribution measures traffic and does attribution based on traffic, how could we actually measure the value an advertiser is getting? From their, from their advertising. And this is how kind of like the story of Incremental uh, went. Um, started the company <laughs> during Corona times. Um, we are um, 
basically Zoom entrepreneurs, which in Hebrew sounds much funnier. It's Yazam Bezoom. Um, yeah, and that's kind of the little bit, you know, the, the long story, very short. That, that is a great story. So I think it's, it, it's an amazing accomplishment to launch a, uh, launch a company like this one, especially in Corona times. Can you just tell me, does uh, uh, being an entrepreneur by Zoom mean that you've, you've never met your co-founder in person or you've met them since, uh, since you launched? So we know each other for about 10 years. He actually used to live in Berlin as well. Um, his family moved to Israel last summer. So that's summer of 2019, basically. And his plan was, you know, he has a flat here. He will travel back and forth. Uh, he did travel and got stuck and basically decided, you know what? I'm just going to be back in Israel. So I haven't seen him since February of last year. Our team is fairly distributed as well. Most of the people are in Israel. One person in Hamburg. I'm here. Um, you know, there is some disadvantages, uh, but there's also a lot of advantages. I can tell you that like when we were fundraising uh, last year, to be able to do seven, eight meetings a day is like impossible when you need to do face-to-face. -face. And if I look at my investors who are from Israel, Hong Kong, Germany, US, South America, it's not really something that we could have done if we had to travel. That's amazing. That's a really cool story. Um, so I guess, you know, you talked a little bit about what you guys are, what you guys are looking for. Uh, you're looking to measure value, looking to measure incremental value. Tell us a little bit about how you do that and who your customers are. Yeah, cool. So um, basically, the you know, old school incrementality testing usually would tell advertisers, hey, stop advertising for a week. And we're going to tell you if your advertising actually created value or not. And if you look at some of the, you know, uber, <laughs> uber famous cases of fraud in the industry, for example, the Uber case. Um, you know, Uber paused advertising and then saw that their numbers are not going down and hence their advertising was basically cannibalizing their organic customers. But you have a lot of other stories like this. Recently, it was like Airbnb, which found that $650 million of their marketing spend was literally completely redundant. Now, wow. what we're doing, so like our approach is we don't want the advertiser to stop advertising. We think it's unrealistic to ask an advertiser to stop advertising. Plus, um, there's all this like potential bias when you do a, a blackout test and suddenly there's you know a global event or an external event or a competitor and it affects your test and you don't really know why actually things happen. So um, yeah, we found an approach called causal inference. It's uh, basically an algorithmic approach that allows us to understand um, what should happen if a customer wouldn't actually do a certain change and versus what did happen. This allows us to do continuous measurement. So we're basically able to continuously show the marketer this channel, this campaign, this activity created value, actually didn't create value, taking value from somewhere else and so on. Everything we do is basically um, based on customer um, feedbacks. We've been working with 10 companies right now. Um, Basically, it's, you know, some of them are gaming, some of them are non-gaming, some of them are mobile only, some of them are cross-platform. Smallest one spends a marketing budget of about $5 million a year, and the biggest one spends half a billion uh, on marketing <clears throat> per year. Um, you know, it works for customers who use two or three channels, and we have a customer who has 3,600 channels they work with. That's a fairly 
big uh, customer. That so, yeah, is a fairly, yeah. fairly big load. Yeah, I would say basically any customer who spends a significant amount on marketing, I would say, and a couple of channels and above. You know, when we started the company, we always knew Apple might take a step towards uh, deprecating IDFA or whatever you want to call what they did. We weren't counting on it. And when they did announce it, we were like in the midst of like, you know, incorporating and fundraising. Um, it was fairly good for us, I would say, because our solution is, I would say, resistant to this move. Uh, incrementality can't be measured on a single user level. So it was kind of like, okay. That was that was good timing for you guys. And for those of you listening to this episode, uh, perhaps long after the fact, um, the uh, iOS uh, ATT just really went into effect uh, very recently. And I'm sure we'll start to see the ripple of that uh, in the not too distant future. But Maor, I think, you know, incrementality has really been growing in popularity in the last couple of years, even before Apple announced their new privacy uh, regulations or, or, or standards. Why do you think that is? Why has incrementality all of a sudden become such a hot button item in the last couple of years? Yeah, well, I think fraud probably was one of the driving forces. You know, if um, and again, nothing against the attribution companies, but in a way where when attribution gives credit based on traffic, it kind of loses the context. And essentially, you know, you're incentivizing certain bad players to get attributed, to get the credit. Um, now, we've seen so many cases where advertisers basically ran with a media provider. Everything looked good on an R or on a ROAS standpoint. But when the advertiser, I don't know, paused the campaign naturally, just, you know, budget ran out or whatever, advertisers started noticing that even though they have like, you know, top-notch attribution solutions, they're still getting hit with fraud all the time. Now, I would say most uh, CMOs, you know, if you're a CMO, usually you're not uh, in your 20s, you, you have a bit more experience, maybe from other mediums like, you know, desktop or, or offline even. Incrementality testing is what you know. Now, incrementality isn't new. It's something that's been going on for probably since the dawn of advertising. You know, Coca-Cola will run a campaign for two weeks, stop it, check their sales results and see, oh, did, did we get incremental sales from this advertising campaign? Now, in digital marketing, many of the advertisers are pretty much always on. The approach was basically what customers looked for. How can we do this without needing to stop marketing? Now, you know, last year when, when Apple made their change, it really does damage how attribution works um, simply because you're now unable to do this on a single user level. You're getting it on an aggregated level. It means your confidence level in like deterministic attribution in parentheses is going away. So you're desperately looking for alternative solutions. And it, you know, all of these factors just made incrementality more popular than what it was. Well, I'm, I, I guess that's great news for you guys. Um, can you talk a little bit more about how, how Apple's ATT does impact how you think about incrementality? Yeah, I would say so. It, it doesn't really influence it. That's the good news. So, you know, one way to do incrementality testing that advertisers have used in the last few years was only on retargeting. Uh, and the way to do it usually is to create a randomized control group. You basically split, split your audience you know, um, to a control group and a test group. You give some users placebo ads, you know, whether if it's PSA or ghost bids or whatever. Um, now, 
ATT pretty much eliminates this option if you cannot target specific users and measure specific users. Now, the way we're doing it, we're using aggregate data. We don't really care about the impressions and the clicks because we rely on attribution data. Now, whether if the attribution happens on a single user level or aggregate, such as offered by SPA Network, for example, for us, it doesn't really matter because essentially what we're looking to tell the advertiser is, you know, this activity, this spend created value or not, we have no idea. And I don't think anyone can say this specific customer like Jess bought a BMW because they saw an ad on Facebook. It doesn't really work like that. And I think this is also right. the beef we had with attribution, you know, um, and I always use this like football example. Um, if you build your lineup based on attribution data, your team will have one player, the striker, and your CFO will tell you, just go and hire more strikers. But like, it doesn't work like that. Like you need the team, you need something. Uh, giving credit, like the multi-touch, simply not possible. Hence, we came up with uh, incrementality testing. Interesting. I imagine that there are a lot of misconceptions around uh, uh, around incrementality, right? You know, uh, I think everybody's been been discussing incrementality for for at least a year now since Apple first made their announcement. Uh, and I know that in the last couple of years, we've been hearing a lot of people talking about incrementality, but I often hear people people thinking about it in very different ways. Uh, some things I've heard don't don't really seem all that logical to me. So. I would imagine with a front row seat to so many discussions about incrementality, you probably have some insights on where most of uh, where most of us have maybe have misconceptions or misunderstandings about incrementality. Can you go into those a little bit? Yeah, well, I think that the you know most common uh, concept concept people thought when they thought incrementality was retargeting, uh, and I would say for retargeting, you know, it's fairly like makes sense to actually use incrementality using randomized control groups. And, you know, that like incrementality testing or incremental sales if tools are offered by media vendors. You know, Facebook offers it to you. Google offers it to you. Challenge there is the bias. It's like, okay, even if you create this like control and test group, you have absolutely no control to see if the users were not affected by any other mediums. Now, basically to do it with um, audience split, on the impression and the click level makes sense, especially when you want to test, let's say, the effectiveness of a creative. You know, what creative is generating more incremental engagement on the ad level by users. And this you could probably also use with aggregate level data. But mm -hmm. um, but incrementality measurement, true incremental measurement, it's it's not about the traffic, it's about the value. Now uh, a couple of other misconceptions. So incrementality measurement does not replace attribution. Like it cannot. It relies on attribution. So we basically partner up with pretty much all the MMPs and work with them regularly. We've done integrations. Um, it also doesn't replace media mix modeling. Media mix modeling is way more like old-fashioned offline method to understand um, on a macro level what affects your marketing. And this can be political, economical, your pricing versus your competitors. For media mix, you usually need like a year long of data to do an analysis. I would mm -hmm. say where we are is somewhere like, you know, in between. And it's not a, it's not a better or worse. Like, you know, if a customer is doing offline and online, they should use like real-time attribution, 
media mix modeling and incrementality testing. It's not like better, worse. It's, a, it's like they should do Complimentary. this. Complimentary. Exactly, exactly. Right. Interesting. So, you know, I think you, you've sort of touched here on, on a really you know, practical piece of advice. And I think that many of our listeners who are, you know, marketers who are doing hands-on work uh, would be interesting to know a little bit more about when you think marketers should be using incrementality, where it's best to use it, some, some real tangible uh, takeaways that they can apply to their own business. Yeah, yeah. So for sure, anyone that's like scale matters. So, uh, you know, an advertiser spending 20K a month only on Facebook likely doesn't need um, to do incremental testing with anyone. They could also probably afford pausing advertising for a couple of days, reactivating it, constantly kind of like challenging their own spend if it's really creating incremental value. Now, the higher the scale, the more likely you need the help of technology to do it. Now, normally, you know, marketing budget is uh, represents a fairly large percent of like B2C companies PNL um, uh, or budget. So like it grows to a point where companies rely on their marketing spend. And, you know, in a way it becomes kind of like a continuous effort to acquire new customers, to engage existing customers. And the current tools in the market constantly just shows you Performance, direct performance. Now, direct performance is confusing. Take a ROAS, a return on advertising spend. You could have a campaign where your return on advertising spend is positive, but if you would pause this campaign, if your results do not um, decrease, then in reality, while your ROAS was positive, your, your, ROAS, your ROI was negative. I know it sounds confusing, but I think you can probably understand this. Uh, now, again, I would say, like, companies should be doing it regularly. And this is also what we see. You know, we see that um, any advertisers or developers who are advertising at scale, they're already looking at how to do this. Usually the challenge is coming up with the, like, the right time series data, which is like a lot of data science research. Got it. Yeah. So I think uh, I think you gave a perfect example earlier of Uber or Airbnb, right? For those not exactly sure how that math works out with uh, uh, return on ad spend versus ROI, I'd highly recommend you check out the incremental website. There are a couple of blog posts covering uh, that topic. Um, and I think that, you know, it, it, it's interesting when we talk about um, advertisers who are running on a couple of channels, uh, who are, you know, have, have a generally limited scale, who don't necessarily need that incremental, uh, increment, incremental, incrementality testing rather, sorry. Um, I think also about partners who are starting to venture into new spaces and how they should be looking at doing incrementality testing. So if you look at uh, channels like uh, podcasting, for example, or influencer marketing, uh, marketing on TikTok, when breaking into a new channel, how do you see incrementality testing working for, for partners or for app developers? Yeah. So, you know, we don't even need just to think about a medium. It's like, you know, let's say, let's take uh, two examples and uh, let's maybe not use iron source, but let's use like, I don't know, Facebook versus Unity. Okay. Now, if an advertiser is now only advertising with Facebook and then tomorrow starts advertising with Unity as well, on their attribution reports, they will see X conversions from Facebook, Y conversions from Unity, as if the users are completely separated. But the reality is we know that the same users are likely overlapping both channels. Um, now, you know, add Google to the mix, 
pretty much, I, I think, what like everybody is using uh, Google. I don't know what their market share right now globally, but let's assume like out of 100 people, 95 will be using Google. The same 95 are also using uh, Facebook and are also being served as by Unity and are likely also being served as by IronSource because you guys are pretty big. Now, the reality is the overlap exists. Now, attribution works to kind of tell you these guys touched it last. It doesn't mean that there was no contribution. And if I go back to my uh, football analogy, you know, if if you end up saying, you know, like, well, my my reports show me that the striker hits the, like uh, scores the goals. I don't need the ten other players. Let's see you uh, <laughs> um, go to a World Cup with a player uh, with a team with one player. You will likely lose. Very, very, very likely lose. Now. You know, it's, of course, really hard or slash impossible to understand what was the actual value of a player that, let's say, touched the ball three times during the game or a player that didn't touch the ball at all. Now, if we look at untrackable inventory, you know, um, influencers, for example, often we don't even see them touching the ball. There is no there is no click coming with a campaign ID from an influencer if it's really like offline. Um, now, what do we do? So one option is, of course, to say, well, this player contributes nothing, so let's take him out. And then basically, if you start observing that the team is actually not performing as well as they did, means that that player, even though they either barely touched the ball or did not touch the ball, had value, had moral value to the audience, had moral value to the players, the players just needed them to be there, then obviously they do have value, even though, based on tracking attribution, they have zero value. This is, I would say, how uh, incrementality works different than attribution. It's not a better or worse, like, honestly, to know who scored the, who scored the uh, goal is a necessity. But that's kind of like the approach to looking at the multimedia, multi-channel, especially when there's uh, mediums that like do not generate um, lower funnel engagements. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Interesting. Well, I think that's going to be a, a, a hot button topic as we continue to see these new emerging marketing channels. I uh, know influencer marketing isn't, uh, isn't necessarily what we would call new, but it's certainly gaining some big ground. Uh, especially in uh, uh, in recent years, things like the Travis Scott um, uh, Fortnite concert, things like that, which are really you know sort of breaking out of uh, out of what we're used to. It'll be interesting to see how we uh, how we continue to measure the incrementality of those types of campaigns in the future. Uh, I'm wondering, Maor, what what skills do you think marketers need to develop in order to stay competitive these days? And it's such a dynamic and fast moving industry, a fast moving market. Uh, and especially with the acceleration of uh, of what's been happening in our ecosystem since the start of COVID-19, how do you think people can can stay on the ball? Yeah, so, you know, if you look at, uh, if you compare, let's say, uh, scientists versus uh, marketers, um, scientists will not necessarily believe what their eyes tell them because they're going to believe the science, they're going to believe the facts. And... I think this is how marketing is evolving. So on the one hand, the marketers need to go into more creative, like actual creative, artistic, um, basically pull users to um, their product with messaging. 
And on the other, they need to understand that often what they see in reports doesn't necessarily represent the entire truth. Now, I don't believe that marketers will go away. It means that uh, I, like, even in a world of automation, which I very much believe that like, automation helps marketers do what they're supposed to be doing, um, there's, they still need to be the one setting strategy, making the decisions. Um, but really, like, it's a more scientific approach to understand how, thing work, uh, how things work um, in order to actually get to the goal uh, they want and test, 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 test. I think that the, one of the things that might go away with like, um, you know, iOS 14.5 and ATT is you can probably no longer um, just put a budget on Facebook and it works because Facebook has everybody's data. Um, I think this changes. It's actually an advantage to marketers because it forces them to learn what works, what doesn't. When you're completely relying um, on, you know, a monopoly to basically tell you what works, what doesn't, you end up losing control a lot more than you think. Uh, so good to see that we're on the same page on that one. Um, and I guess that it's going to spawn a lot of innovation uh, from in, in some respect or another. Where do you think the next layer of innovation comes from? Yeah, so on the one hand, I think like we see more automation tools in general, uh, you know, companies like Big Check, which we like working with as well. Um, you know, they simply help marketers do what they're supposed to be doing in any ways, just eliminate most of the like hassle or the ants work in housing in general, more marketing, uh, more marketing tech stack like data science, prediction and so on is going in house. And then um, the other part, which is like, you know, more on the, I would say, medium media side, uh, whether you call it demand or supply side, it's uh, more all in one platforms, like uh, basically kind of like what you guys are doing, like what AppLovin has been doing. Um, I think everybody is kind of copying the, um, the Google approach, which is like, you know, have the stack, have the entire ad stack um, in your advantage. It lowers costs significantly. And it basically allows marketers to get better performance and more trustworthy um, platform they're working with. Um, from a vendor standpoint, you can actually utilize first-party data when you have uh, owned and operated media, when you have owned and operated tools. So it's just gaining efficiency. Like we've seen it recently with like the uh, um, rush towards m and uh, So many companies been basically eating other companies or merging with other companies. I think this is kind of like the um, growth or maturity of the market. That's one of the trends I think we will be seeing more of. It has been really interesting to see the consolidation in the industry for the last six, eight, 12 months. It's, it's really quite astounding what's been going on. Well, Maor, I think we've covered, uh, you know, we've covered a, a good chunk of incrementality and in, in what your business incremental does. Uh, and I'd like to thank you for your time today. Uh, just to finish, I'd like to ask you, what what's an out-of-the-box marketing campaign that you liked of late? Hmm. So, so I'm in Berlin, in uh, Germany. And, you know, I would say that when it comes to the vaccination, Berlin really not, like Germany did not handle it well. But when it comes to uh, getting people to do social distancing and so on, um, Germany and Berlin specifically did really, really cool campaigns. So one of my favorite campaigns recently has been like the social distancing here. Um, so what you see on train station is basically what is 1.5 meters? So what is 1.5 meters? It's one pony or three corgis. 
And then you also have references to very Berlin-specific things. If you've been to Berlin, you know what I'm talking about. Uh, whether if it's the uh, S&M scene, whether if it's the clubbing scene. So how many uh, you know uh, clubbers um, are between you and the next person to represent 1.5 meters? I found it hilarious, but I also found it very effective. And it got people to like comply. Um, yeah, just hope that. Well, that uh, sounds like that sounds like great marketing to me, right? Create an emotional response, uh, speak the language of uh, of your audience, and really get them to take action. That yeah, sounds like textbook marketing to me. Well, hopefully, I'll be able to see that the next time I'm in Berlin, or maybe we'll even be finished with social distancing by the next uh, time I'm in Berlin. And uh, Maor, I'd like to thank you for your time today. It was a pleasure to have you on, and uh, a super interesting talk. Same here. Thank you, Jess.